How are you guys doing? Welcome over here. This is the podcast called Speak the Truth. This is episode 59. It is currently hump day. Hump day over here. It is a Wednesday. Pretty exciting stuff. It's going to be 80 degrees and blowing 30 out of the south today, which is super exciting since I, I can't really do. I just want to hunt. I'm not going to lie to you guys. I really just want to hunt. And with that kind of weather, it's not really the most feasible thing. Deer don't like to come out when it's super warm and super windy. So that kind of ruins it. I've got a couple more weeks and I got three tags. I literally got three tags. Still. We got three, two. I haven't killed anything this year. Struggling, struggle bus. My girlfriend's at least killed something, so there is that. I will kill kill something for sure by the end of the year. Uh, I, I will say that I will one hundred percent kill something by the end of the year. I hope. No, I fucking, I will. I will one hundred percent. All right, we're gonna kick this thing off. NFL. Oh God, I, I, it kind of sucks me saying this. I love football. I I love it. I really do. I love the sport. I I really do love football. I mean, if you turn around, if you look behind me. If you guys are not on the podcast on YouTube, you guys won't know what I'm talking about. But if you guys look behind me over here, you can see football, 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 football. Everything is fo- I mean, even down here over here, you guys don't even know this. Look, I got, I got the triplets down here. I didn't even have enough room for this one, for this helmet. I got the dang triplets signed helmet right here. And, uh, and it's, <laughs> it's just goofy. Deion Sanders, Ezekiel Elliott, Amari Cooper, Prescott, the triplet. I literally have every single major Cowboys I don't know, Cowboys player there's been in the last 20, 30 years. And I'm having to talk about this, which is really sad because I really do love football. Hell, one of my rooms inside of my house has three TVs in it alone. I have a room with three TVs in it just for football weekends so I can watch all games in red zone. It's kind of disappointing. <sighs> Maybe times will change, though. All right. Don't want to fuck that one all up. <clears throat> but the NFL is actually funding a bunch of stuff that I, I, I'm, I'm clearly not going to be for. Uh, one of them being the Inspire Change. Well, that, that's their that's their thing that they that they they put their money through. Inspire Change, which is uh, it, it receives financial backing from the multi billion dollar league, includes multiple groups that have openly advocated for defunding the police. We all knew that they were kind of they they can let their players do whatever they want. That's fine. I I, I don't care about that aspect. I kind of just like close my eyes to it and just oh okay now we're playing the game. That's pretty much what I do. I mean, when you go to a Cowboys a Cowboys game, none of them kneel, none of them do that, none of them are allowed to. I don't, I don't believe so. Maybe, maybe it's just maybe all the players are great, but none of them do that. Everybody stands for the Pledge of Allegiance. The entire stadium standing, like it's great. I love going to Cowboys games. Matter of fact, I'm going to one here very soon because it's just a different experience than what you see on TV, I guess. But the NFL itself, as a, as a whole, they have uh, these groups have actually received funds as part of Inspire Change the NFL Social Justice Initiative, including Vera Institute. Uh, of Justice, the Oregon Institute Resource Center, Justice Resource Center, excuse me, and the Community Justice Exchange. All three of these groups supporting defunding the police and abolishing the police. The NFL has gave $300,000 alone to the Oregon Justice Resource Center, the OJRC. The group has disclosed on local media it is unclear how much the NFL has actually gave to the Vera Institute of Justice and the Community Justice Exchange. Though the NFL has actually donated tens of millions of dollars as part of the Inspire Change program, according to the league. The Community Justice Exchange aims to get rid of not only policing and prison, but also immigration enforcement, according to its public statements. The Community Justice Exchange is working towards a world without prisons, policing, prosecution, surveillance, or any form of detention or supervision. What in the actual fuck? How is that even a thing? How could you, like, I don't want to be, I want to be rude here, but how do you give money to an organization that is for a world without prisons? Policing, prosecution, surveillance, or any form of detention or supervision. What the f***? How does that make any sense? It's going to f*** 
I, I mean, what? I, I don't even know what to say there. Like, that can't be a real. It is a real thing, though. That's literally from the group's uh, website. I'm so, like, that's what they're. That's what they put on their website. The NFL also supports the group, including supporting 75 plus local community-based bail and bond funds, working to end money bail and pretrial detention at the local level and immigration detention at the national level. That's according to the NFL's Inspire Change website. The OJRC is similarly open on its support for defunding the police, which shouldn't be super shocking since they're from Oregon. The brutality of law enforcement and and cruelty of our prisons are connected by the same malignant tumor. White supremacy, the OJRC has tweeted in June of 2020, we must dismantle and defund it all. Don't you think it's kind of crazy the NFL is alienating one side of the aisle of its its fans? Like people like me, that I love football. I really do. There's a lot of y'all that probably love football. I personally did not watch and or go to a single game last year. I did it. That's kind of wild because I usually go to about three to four games a year. And there's not very many games, home games that is. I legitimately go to at least three games a year. No sh- I do. Big supporter. I buy a bunch of Cowboys sh- clearly. It's sometimes it's very confusing. I, it, it's kind of crazy you would alienate an entire aisle like that. Entire side of the aisle. Not just an aisle. Entire f-ing side of the country. Uh, various committed to dismantling the current culture of policing and working towards the solutions that defund the police and shift power to communities. That's one of the, the groups um, that the various one of the groups are giving money to. I just had to bring this one up because it's kind of one of those crazy things. When a country that big, I just think it's it's smart just to just shut up, but just just don't do anything. If you're a company, I get it. You might be for like a cause or whatever, but these ones defunding the police is clearly not working out at all. It is probably one of the, the worst movements that's ever happened in America for, for either side of the aisle when it comes to, like, especially look at the Democrats. Matter of fact, we got one for you guys here. What, what's going on? Okay, there you go. How well it has, has it worked out? Defunding the police, that is. San Francisco mayor, as we all know, London Breed. She's, I've talked about her, I think, maybe twice on this podcast. It's mainly about defunding the police. Anyway, she appears to have reversed her course on support for defunding the police as a whole and is now calling for the same progressive policies, the bullshit that has destroyed our city. Okay. She was speaking at a press conference and apparently erupted at surging crime in San Francisco. I mean, I've talked about it. Everybody's talking about surging crime in California as a whole. And we know a lot of it has to do with the fact that they're just letting people out of prison or out of just county or not county, I guess you would say local, local law enforcement. They're literally just letting people out if they don't have any like violent crime, if they're, if they're just stealing stuff, nah, no biggie, no bail, let them go. They'll come back later date. She went on to state this, that it's, it's time that the reign of the criminals who are destroying our city, it is time for it to come to an end. And it comes to an end when we take the steps to be more aggressive with law enforcement, more aggressive with the changes in our policies, and less tolerant of the bullshit that has destroyed our city, that we are going to turn this around. Wow. That's one hell of a change of, uh, that's like doing an about face. If no one in the military knows what that is, if you went in the military, you know what that means. But about face is literally walking and you just turn around and walk the opposite way. It's the best way for me to say it. This is a city that has a population of less than 1 million people with over, oh God, with an over $12 billion budget. The residents of the city have been extremely generous in providing us with the resources we need to make the difference. Meaning she taxes the living f- out of <laughs> Oh, it's kind of funny the way they put it. We want to be say that is we're very generous, and uh, excuse me, the the the, uh, the citizens of the city are very generous by giving us a twelve billion dollar budget because we tax the absolute piss out of them. Thank you so much. 
Anyway, she went on to say this. <laughs> says, when you're in a room full of people, I would I'd probably say anywhere between 90 to 95% of the folks could raise their hand and say that either their car has been broken into or they've been a victim in some capacity or another. That is not okay. That is not acceptable. So it is somewhat kind of ironic because back in July 31st of 2020, she had a statement that was seeking to divert more than $100 million to San Francisco Police Department's uh, to social justice programs. He actually said the proposed budget invests $120 million in funds over two years, predominantly from the city's law enforcement departments towards the effort to repair the legacy of racially disparate policies on health, housing, and economic outcomes for African Americans. So just within a year and a half, the $120 million she was going to divert is biting her in the tush. Right in the old booty. Yeah, that, that tends to happen. The liberal... Progressive policies are really panning out pretty well for these bigger cities. Way to go, San Francisco. But I will give her props. She's, well, I'm not going to give her props really because she didn't really say anything. It's like, oh, I, I, I'm going to take back what I said a year ago. I was an idiot. My apologies. Let's move forward. That's how she should have said it. Then everybody would be like, you know what? I respect you. I, I, you know what? I, I get you. I actually respect that f- out of you for saying that. We're going to take a quick little flight over to New York City real quick. And council members actually have voted this week, or voted, I said voted, but uh, they voted to actually allow legal non-citizens to vote in local elections. New York City is the largest city to do so with nearly 800,000 additional residents. That's adding 800,000 additional city residents now eligible to vote. 14 smaller U.S. jurisdictions have done similar laws allowing non-citizens to vote in legal, or excuse me, in local elections. Oddly enough, most of those jurisdictions are actually located in Maryland. I didn't know this. Actually, I'm learning something with y'all this morning. I also don't believe that they should be allowing people that aren't citizens to vote. I think that's that doesn't really make any sense. I don't go to Mexico and vote in their elections. I don't go to Canada and vote in theirs. doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. It's And I, I've said this before. I know I've said this in podcasts before. But more left-leaning cities and left-leaning areas, they know that if they let people go and vote... They always they always tout and say that the right or the the, the more Republican side is 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 making really str- strict and harsh laws for voting and making it harder for people to vote. No, they're just making it harder for people who are illegal to vote and people who shouldn't be voting. They don't want them to vote, which is the case. But the more left leaning side, the more Democratic side of things, they they want to allow everybody to vote because they they know they're going to garnish and gain more votes from that population. Like that that's a the thing. They they know hey if we just allow these people to vote, they're going to vote for us. So why not just let them vote? Which is true. I don't know why anybody's not saying that out loud. Anyway, the 11 locals are actually in close proximity to Washington, D.C. I'm not going to name all of them off because I really don't care. And I think a lot of you guys don't care either. Um, but there's 11 of them there in Maryland. I actually didn't know that many people or that many uh, little municipalities actually allow non-citizens to vote. Uh, there's, there's, Like I said, there's quite a few. There's 11 of them. There are also two municipalities in Vermont that allow non-citizens to vote. Uh Lawmakers apparently enacted measures in 2021 that allow legal non-citizens to vote in city elections despite Republican Phil Scott's attempt to veto the legislation. San Francisco, of course, began allowing non uh, certain non-citizens to vote in school board elections in 2016. The Illinois General Assembly introduced a measure allowing certain non-citizens to vote in February. Liberal cities, including Los Angeles, Washington, Portland, Maine, and others have floated the idea of enacting similar laws, while other states, including Alabama, Colorado, Florida, Arizona, and North Dakota, have rules that would stop any attempts to pass non-citizens. I don't, I just don't get why it matters. If you're not a citizen, why the f*** are you able to vote? You shouldn't be able to vote. It's not, that shouldn't be a thing. But if you didn't know, New York City-based non-citizens will be able to register to vote by December of 2022 and cast ballots in 2022. 20- 
23. Way to go. Way to eat yourself from the inside out. I don't see that one pinning out too well. Talk about talk about them saying that illegitimate um, votes have been casted every single every single election year. Imagine imagine having non citizens voting. That should that's going to pan out really well. Which is crazy. They're like, oh my god, you need an ID card to vote. Yeah, you need a ID card to get on an airplane. You can't even check out a book at a library without an ID card. Why the f- should you be able to vote? So goofy. Good start to the morning. Hope you guys had a fantastic day. I love it. I absolutely love it. But if you guys didn't know, Biden is doing Biden things. We got to love Mr. Biden sometimes. Sometimes he does some good stuff. He did some good stuff over. He did some good stuff recently, right? He, uh, yeah, he threw his testes on the table when talking to uh, when Putin a little bit. I don't think it's really going to scare Putin at all. Putin's going to do what he's going to do. As a matter of fact, by the end, of, if you guys are listening to this, you have to listen to the end of this. I found in the very last piece of this thing, that last like half of this thing, I found an article. That may be the best article I've ever found on this podcast, but that has to do with Putin and all them. Anyway, President Joe Biden spoke at a Democratic National Committee holiday party, and he actually said this. We have to keep making the case. Let me say this again from the president. We're going to win 2022. Woo. All right. He wants to tell his Republican friends, get ready, pal. You're in for, <laughs> I could just hear him say, this. get ready, pal. You're in for a problem. Oh, really? All right. Way to go. <laughs> You are ready, pal. Explaining that Republicans are against everything and challenging the crowd to name something that GOP is for. He, he's gonna name. He wants. To, he wants to ask the crowd, which is literally the Democratic National Committee, all Democrats, what Republicans are for. You really think anybody's gonna say something good? What the? F- <laughs> what? Oh God. During his speech, Biden touted his recently passed infrastructure spending package as the most significant piece of infrastructure spending since the Eisenhower administration. Wow. The president also celebrated that over 200 million Americans have been vaccinated. Yeah. I guess he forgets to mention that I guess the previous administration pushed forward the uh, the old getting that thing approved super, super fast. And of course, Nancy Pelosi also spoke in the event, explained how Biden is the perfect president to handle the challenging times that we are facing as a country. He is the perfect president, apparently, to face these challenging times. When, in fact, he's probably the guy who actually put us in a lot of these challenging times himself. So, way to go. Way to eat yourself from the inside out. Oh, man. I mean, it's exciting, though. I mean, Miss Pelosi actually went on to say, uh, our country cannot be in a better served than this most experienced and capable hands than yours, President Biden. He's just perfect. The timing couldn't be better. I, I don't know. I, I mean, the timing couldn't be better. Apparently, he's sitting at a 40% approval rating and a 50% disapproval rating. That's It just came out. But the national average right now, that's from Real... Wow, this one's kind of a mouthful, trying to say it quick. Real Clear Politics puts Biden approval rating at 42% and disapproval at 52 So yes, Pelosi, you are right. This 100% is a perfect time, and he couldn't be doing it better. All right. I love the debauchery. Oh, we're going to move on. We're going to move on. We're going to move on to Russia and China. A China. Can I get a China? Woo! Can I get a China? That's, that's the only thing I, I could talk about these days because Russia and China are pretty much showing showing their, their big testes out to, to the world. I don't know. I don't want to say that I think war is going to be inevitable, but after finding out this article and I had a conversation with my buddy over at Goldman Sachs and he made a really good point. Those gentlemen are, are extremely smart. They're really good with numbers and stuff like that. And we were talking about how China, every time I say it now, I just say, how China, uh, their, their whole one-child policy pretty much, uh, it, it hurt them significantly. Like, when I mean significant, it really killed them significantly, which you'll find out here in a second. But anyway, President Xi has reported, um, anyway, that him and President 
Vladimir Putin, they're, they're, they call each other dear friends now and said the relations between the two countries has reached an unprecedented high level. Oh, I couldn't imagine why. When you got two countries that are pretty much going against toe-to-toe right now, the EU, NATO itself as a whole, I guess, and uh, America. Toe-to-toe. China, Taiwan, I think that's going to be an, an, something that may actually, if that happens, I don't know. That, that's a crazy thing. If you think about America as two fronts, they're actually going to be, I hope that's not the case. I really don't. It could be the case, though. I mean, if Taiwan and China, that, that thing kicks off, and Russia and Ukraine kick off at the same time. I have no idea how you're going to handle two giant things going on at once. That'd be kind of a that'd be kind of a mess. Putin wants support from Z for his push to obtain binding security guarantees from from uh, for Russia. Excuse me, from the West. Russia wants the United States and NATO to guarantee the military alliance will not expand further eastward or deploy weapon systems in Ukraine and other countries on Russia's border. I don't know if that's, I don't know personally if it's going to happen. I'm not inside the room having these conversations, clearly, but I don't know if that happened. At the same time, EU and Germany is actually sending warnings over to Russia themselves. The head of the European Union Executive Commission warned Russia on Wednesday, that is today, that the bloc has a battery of additional sanctions ready if Moscow decides to invade neighboring Ukraine. We had a conversation with my buddy, the SF guy who's actually done a lot of work in Ukraine. A lot of work in Ukraine. He was there, I don't know, five years ago. Something like that, maybe four years ago. He has a pretty good idea where they were standing then, and and a pretty good understanding of how how Russia thinks, which is which is good. I know a lot about the Taliban and stuff like that because I, I got a lot of. Fortunately, I got a lot of work with them. Good for me. He's had quite a bit of work with with Russia, and and uh, he's saying that the, the sanction that they're talking about, which they the EU, EU is also talking about sanctions, is not going to have an effect at all when it comes to Russia and their capabilities of of really getting things done, and with them partnering with China. As a, like, I mean, think about it. The second largest economy in, on planet Earth is partnering with, with Russia, who is now trying to be quote unquote worried about these sanctions that are coming from EU. Do you think Russia really cares, or do you just want to think they just want to take back what they quote unquote had? Because we all know that Putin used to be part of the KGB, and that's Ukraine used to be a part of them. You think he just wants it back, and he's just going to be like, ah, okay, you guys can eat eat a eat a big fat one. He's going to move on from here and pretend like the rest of the world doesn't matter. I mean, that that could possibly be a thing. But the, uh, the sanctions over the EU, they're saying they could adopt unprecedented measures with serious consequences for Russia. Apparently, there are already economic sanctions, we already know, in placing targeting Russia's finance energy sectors because of its annexation of Ukraine's Crimea Peninsula in 2014 and its actions since the West sees an increasingly uh, aggressive, which is, so if they've already got sanctions on there and they're not really doing very much, then what do you think adding more is going to do? Germany's new ch- chancellor, though, uh, is telling the lower house of the German parliament that any violation of territorial integrity will have its price, a high price, and we will speak with one voice together with the European partners and transatlantic allies. Oh, man. I could just be countries puffing their chest, but I, I don't see why anybody in the EU would really, I don't know, they don't see, they don't gain anything from Russia getting in there. And they're all too scared to say, everybody's too scared to say, well, if you do, if you with Ukraine, we're going to crush you. Because then you're going to have to deal with China. It's basically Cold War V2 was what's going on. It's a proxy war again. But yeah, Russia actually goes on to say that they may have to actually be forced to deploy nuclear missiles in Europe as a reaction to what perceives as NATO intentions to make similar moves. And to me, that is kind of crazy. If you think about it, why, why that is actually fairly crazy is the fact that we don't, we're not sticking any more nuclear missiles on there. I think they're just using it as an excuse to do it themselves and kind of cause a little bit of a, a little bit of chaotic disruption over there in Europe as a whole. 
Russia's deputy foreign minister said that the country needs and would need to take an aggressive step if NATO did not better engage with Moscow on how to dial back tensions. Intermediate range ballistic cruise missiles were actually banned in Europe as of a part of a 1987 treaty that aimed at addressing Cold War tensions after years of Russia allegedly violating the pact. The U.S. actually exited that agreement in 2019. Meanwhile, there's been said that indirect indications that NATO is intended to redeploy intermediate Intermediate range missiles such as recent restorations of the 56th Artillery Command, which housed missiles with nuclear capabilities during the Cold War. NATO's actually come out and said that there would be no new U.S. missiles in Europe and that it would address threats from new Russian missiles with conventional weapons. I don't really know. You, you don't really bring a knife to a gunfight. If, if one country is going to say they're going to bring nuclear weapons through the border, you probably should be doing the same thing. I don't know. Maybe that just ends up in another standoff. Probably. Another Cold War thing, which we're probably going to end up with anyway. I mean, the stuff, the stuff just, it just keeps leading up to it. And matter of fact, with the article we're going to be talking about here in a second, is actually a phenomenal one. I think it is. It's, a, it's actually from the Wall Street Journal, and it's an opinion article by Andrew A. Mikta. Hopefully I didn't jack up your name. I think it's a phenomenal piece, and it kind of, it kind of brings everything to fruition here, what we've been talking about over the last, which feels like a decade. I don't, it feels like forever. All right, so this one actually starts off. This one I'm probably going to – it's it's pretty good. I actually – like I said, I think it's one of the better ones I've ever – ever found what, what seems actually makes sense. So the risk of confrontation between the U S and China is greater than it's ever been in decades in a broader, uh, and a, and a broader war would trigger Chinese action against Taiwan is a possibility. The rising threat of high intensity state on state war is driven by the growing elite conviction in Beijing and Moscow and their power disadvantage relative to the U S and allies will worsen unless they move soon, making victory increasingly unattainable. So this is phenomenal. I'm telling you guys, I have three pieces right here. They make complete sense. I'm going I'm to read them verbatim, mainly because I don't want to jack it up. So, and, the, and this person did a phenomenal job, like I said. There are three principal reasons as to why China and Russia may want to confront the U.S. and its allies sooner rather than later, possibly within the, ne- the next five years. I don't know about that. Who knows? I really don't know. But he says this person states within five years. First, the U.S. military require time to restructure and refit away from counterterrorism and toward high-intensity state-on-state great power conflict, which I do believe is true. And the reason why I say that is because we spent so much time fighting just terrorism, which was pretty much just essentially just guerrilla warfare in a sense because you're fighting not an actual army. You know, you're fighting a terroristic organization. But they're saying that the, the Army Modernization Strategy published in 2019 sets a 2035 goal as a deadline for transforming the army into a multi-domain capable force from Russia or Chinese perspective, that means each additional year will be a shift in imbalance, which currently favors them in some areas. I, I don't know. I kind of believe it in a sense. That the only thing that we have going for us in America is the fact that we've been fighting in a, in a war for the last 20 years. So we, we, we have an understanding of, of, of war in general. Like we, it's, it's not like China. China has, when was the last time actually China fought in a real war? Or Russia? Last time, like a real war, like a real one. I guess Ukraine has kind of helped them out quite a bit. But America as a whole is... is as probably the most salty when it comes to fighting in wars of recently. Like this person is saying, like I'm saying, they're pretty much just been fighting in terroristic type wars. But I promise you, it's not as great of a switch as you would think to turn that light switch on and you're like, all right, well, now you're shooting at people or you're, you're fighting an army that is wearing an actual uniform. It's probably going to be a little bit easier. Not in the sense of, of easier to win, but I have an understanding of who you're actually targeting at that point. The second factor is domestic conditions in the U.S. and Europe. Western democracies are buffeted by the trifecta of COVID-19 increasing brazen mass and migration, uh, our southern borders. We've been having a hard time actually getting in control of that, which is pretty true. And the crescent cultural revolution, 
which is pretty much the, the left eating themselves from within, which they're right there as well, especially in the U.S., which is likely to peak within the next two years. They're saying that's going to end in the next couple of years, which I guess in the next couple of years is a new election, which I don't think it's going to peak. At, well, it is going to peak. That's a good point. It's probably going to peak in the next couple of years. I didn't even think about that one, which meaning it's going to be even worse coming into the 2024 elections, which is going to be true. 2023, we're going to see the same we saw in 2019, 2019, 2020. It's going to be the same thing. Basically, hopefully not redo, but 2020 all over again. We didn't know that would take out coronavirus, but everything that happened, expected in 2023, 2024. Anyway, once America has moved beyond its current internal 1970-style turbulence and reconsolidated U.S. with its key manufacturing supply chains, reshored back from China will present Beijing and Moscow with a far more formidable foe than today, which is very true. Once we bring back all of our stuff from China, if that does, or does happen... China's going to lose a lot of economic strength in, well, global trade at that point when it comes to us just basically taking back what we have. A good indicator is recent reports that the U.S. has made qualitative, well, that's a tough one to say, <laughs> leap in hypersonic missile technology likely to nullify the edge Russia and China have hoped to maintain through the investment in their own programs. That is actually kind of a tough word to say. Actually, you look at it, you're like, nah, that's pretty easy. Qual- qualitative. 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 Anyway, time is on America's side when it comes to quality and sophistication of its weapon systems. We all know we're really quick here in America of actually making things, which is which is a great thing. For everybody that thinks that capitalism is bad, look at that. Give yourself the private sector the ability to build weapons to sell to the military, and guess what? Capitalism is great because it, it creates investment advancement, excuse me, and people the ability to actually want to better their weapon systems to sell them to the military. Capitalism. Love it. The third factor. This one right here. It's pretty important. The, the middle one. I mean, yeah, it's whatever it's stuff we can get over with. The first one's kind of a big deal. The third one thinks the biggest deal. Internal pressures from building within China are Chinese and Russian societies. For both countries, population trends and current projections paint a devastating picture. In 2021, China reported its first projected uh, population decline since the famine that accompanied Mao Zedong's great leap forward in the late 1950s with the official birth rate of 1.3 children per woman, far below the replacement rate of 2.1. And in part of the result, a now relaxed one child policy, there are credible projections that China population will actually peak in 2022 and that the births will continue to decline and deaths will actually surpass births by 6 million in 2025. Okay, so they're actually losing a grip on their population. They're going to be declining by 2025. Russia's population is predicted to decline from 146 million today to 121 million by 2050. Historically, wars are often started because of the miscalculations based on unsound intelligent estimates and underestimating the enemy. That is phenomenal. I absolutely love this entire piece right there. That is crucial to know. If a, if a country, if two of the biggest, strongest powers in the world are having a population decline, they're not going to be able to replenish the men and women that they have currently. Like, that's a pretty big deal. That's a pretty big deal. Whether the breakouts will depend how badly Beijing and Moscow fear the global power shift in the next decade and how eager they will be to exploit the perceived current relative advantages to remake the world. It is a good thing. That entire opinion article actually on the Wall Street Journal is phenomenal, I think. And I think it's real. I really do. It, it states Russia and China's dangerous decline. And, I, and when I clicked on it, of course, I had to read through the entire thing and give you guys a good, good juicy bits. But it, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, it really does. Everything that's going on, if you guys just look at it from the, let's take it from the outside looking in, 
China messing with Taiwan, China and Russia partnering together. Russia in 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 America's not doing too well. Russia wants to invade Ukraine again. Trade with with China has been pretty pretty bumpy. I mean, it's it's pretty telling. It's pretty telling. I don't know how long it's going to last. I really also don't think that the next world war hopefully doesn't end everything. I don't know. That'd be pretty bad as well. If you think about it, I can never fight again. Charles, Charles would be called up instantly. I wouldn't be. I'd be sitting on the sideline giving you guys uh, claps and say, have fun. Anyway, but I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast over here on Speak the Truth. Make sure you go subscribe on the YouTube channel if you guys made it this far. I do love you guys. I will see you guys tomorrow with another episode of this crusty old podcast. I am out. 